0: Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron. And one of the biggest debates that are happening right now is Bitcoin scaling. Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin, has 8 megabyte blocks, opposed to Bitcoin's 1 megabyte blocks. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to find out today when we talk to Douglas Pike of Virium and Viracoin. He is the co-founder and lead developer, and he's going to shed some light on this issue and tell us, basically, what the issues are with the scaling and some of the arguments. He's also going to tell us a little bit about what he's doing with Virium and Viracoin to solve those problems before they happen. This is part one of a two-part series. The first part is about Bitcoin scaling. In the second part, we're going to talk about ideology and what cryptocurrency and blockchain is for and how it should affect the people. But before we get into the conversation, please check out Crypto101Podcast.com. That is crypto101podcast.com. There you can find our profiles. You can send us an email, say what's up. You can click on our social media tabs and follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Join our Facebook group. It is probably the best crypto group you're gonna get into. No assholes, no FUD, no spam. Just people sharing their opinions about cryptocurrency and blockchain. Also on our crypto101podcast.com page, you can find our Patreon tab. And please, become a Patron. That money helps us run the podcast, that money helps us maintain the servers, maintain our website, and we appreciate it. So here is Douglas Pike from Virium and Viracoin talking about Bitcoin scaling solutions and problems. The Pike, what's up, man? How you doing?
1: Good, how you doing?
0: <laughs> good, good, good. What gives Bitcoin value? What the problems are with scaling and how that all relates to the economics of creating a currency. So I guess that this is less of a conversation, more of a lecture from Professor Professor Doug Pike.
1: <laughs> I don't have my PhD yet, so you can't call me that yet. But uh... <laughs> Maybe well, you, one day.
0: Well, you could you're you could be an honorary professor in the in the Verium var, <laughs> and Vericoin community. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, it's it's like the the biggest. I mean, besides the price, which is obviously good right now, it's really the the other main topic of discussion, and it's and it's a very important one. So I'm gonna try. I'll also try and not just like plug Vericoin and varium. I, I wanna I wanna try and give the the topic an objective overall perspective, focusing mainly on you know, like what is being implemented, what could be implemented, what the pros and cons uh, of each type of technological solution to scaling, etc., is, uh, and then we can we can go forward from there.
0: Throw you right in the spotlight like that, but Professor. that's no, fine. Go for it. <laughs> so this is
1: an interesting topic. Um, so, when uh, Bitcoin was first released by Satoshi, you know so there's there's like two camps. There's the you know the quote unquote big block big block camp, the small block camp. when When Bitcoin was originally released by Satoshi in two thousand and nine, it had no block size cap, actually. And a couple of the early early community members, in particular cryptographers that were working with Satoshi early on, discussed with him on the forums, primarily, and also via email, that it's possible that the system could be essentially attacked using internet latency techniques by slowing essentially the the network down in certain areas. If you were to fill the, the blocks with tons and tons of transactions, You could essentially just destabilize a fair distribution of the data across the network. And by that, you could essentially attack the system potentially because if, you know, for instance, there is still significant mining going on in China. There is a significant firewall on the Chinese um, internet bandwidth. And, you know, things like that can have an impact on how quickly the data can traverse a global network. Right. Um, so it could potentially disadvantage all the Chinese miners if, you know, somebody tried to pass a 300 megabyte block. Right. So basically to 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 mitigate this problem and, and in a way, um, the unfortunate thing is in a way what they actually did was kind of push the problem off into a future point where essentially we're going to set the cap at one megabyte right now. Basically, no transactions, uh, no total of transactions is going to come anywhere close to one megabyte. But at the at the time when we have tons of people doing transactions, you know, we can increase the block size. Unfortunately, any mechanism in the protocol that's not automated, just determined objectively by the code or some formula, or it doesn't even have to necessarily be the best solution to the problem. But if it's pre-coded in. Everyone is just going to go with it, basically, because what they found is that, you know, Satoshi knew what he was doing or or they or she knew what they were doing. You know, so let's just go with the parameters that were initially kind of forged into the blockchain. Right. So, unfortunately, the potential attack for network latency issues due to a large block size was kind of one of the, I think, one of the very few oversights that Satoshi had is in terms of the protocol. Um, it was brought to his attention early, and basically the cap was was added, kind of quickly to you know prevent people from exploiting it. And it was kind of like, uh, all right, we'll deal with this later um, when we need to. And probably what wasn't expected was how much of a controversy it might result in, which we're seeing now in the forking into Bitcoin Cash.
0: Okay, so let me let me now just the, ask this question then. So the one megabyte cap was never originally in the plans.
1: No, there was no cap originally. So what was um, it supposed to
0: be? Was it supposed to be just like this free moving? So the black size? So the,
1: yes. So so basically the um, the original design was just the fees. You know, there's some small fees on the transactions. And the cost of those fees would basically prevent spamming the blockchain. The problem was that when Bitcoin was first released in the first two years, it had a transaction fee, but Bitcoin had zero value, like up until somebody bought that pizza for 10,000 Bitcoin. <laughs> but, uh, <Right. laughs> before that, Bitcoin had zero value. So in a sense, there was fees, but no one cared about them because no one was losing any value. So, right. um, so it was kind of like a stopgap. So in the end, like, had no one discovered this was a potential problem and, you know, they just left it uncapped, it's possible that everything would have been fine because the value would have came in and then started controlling the transaction size. You know, and then you could debate more so, like, should the fee model be increased if there's, you know, in in the context of no block size cap, et cetera. but. Mm -hmm. Basically, it was kind of a stopgap solution. So it's one of those things that now we have to get humans involved and we have to, like, you know, debate it with intense subjectivity on on all sides. And to be honest, there's good points on both sides. What Um, are some of those points? It basically comes down to whether you think Bitcoin is better suited as a store of value or as a day to day, you know, coffee buying currency. Um, If you think Bitcoin should only ever be a coffee buying currency in a sense like where if, it, if you can't buy coffee with it it can't be a value store if that is your your viewpoint which is basically an economic viewpoint that if you can't transact with it then it's useless as a store of value because no one can transact with it therefore you know why would anyone use it as a store of value that's essentially the bitcoin cash argument right now The Roger Ver, the uh, Craig Wright argument. And it's a reasonable argument in the sense that the power of Bitcoin is potentially that you can remove the third party. And the third party tends to charge fees. And if the fees are exorbitant on Bitcoin, mainstream is not going to care about decentralization, not because they shouldn't or because they couldn't, but mostly because they're just not aware that you can actually have decentralized money even if they're buying bitcoin like all these people right now that are setting up accounts on Coinbase probably 95% of them don't really understand that this is a decentralized value transfer system right you know they get that it's like digital money maybe and you know but it it, it you basically have to ch- Question and challenge your own assumptions about money that you are conditioned to believe since birth, basically, Mm -hmm. to really understand that a third party list, trust minimized, decentralized money system is possible. So the argument is, you know, if um, if the fees are higher than Visa, you know, why would anybody use it? Basically, right. So, exactly. for instance, Bitcoin starts dropping in price. It go- starts cratering. You know, all these new people are going to be like, I'm losing money. And every time I try and move it, I have to pay 20 bucks. You know, it's right. crazy. Right. <laughs> this was like a Ponzi. I got I got duped into a Ponzi scheme. You know, right. so that's like that's like a fair argument, I would say. Um, and then the other argument is basically the Bitcoin core argument is at this point in reality, it's nearly impossible to scale Bitcoin to the masses. And thus, we need a second layer solution, essentially, where what we do is we maintain decentralization by keeping the block size cap as low as, as, as humanly possible, essentially. And we try and use great engineering techniques to minimize the amount of data that actually has to be used by someone spending digital currency. Uh, this is basically SegWit such that the number of transactions that are occurring are each using less data, and therefore the block size growth is going to really be impeded. We can keep the block size cap minimal, and we can ensure that on the first layer, at least, there is a fair propagation of the data over the globe. You know, people can use raspberry Pis to confirm their own transactions Mm -hmm. um you know you don't need excessive hardware to handle the blockchain Um, we don't grow the blockchain into this bloated like 20 gigabyte a month monstrosity you know Mm -hmm. that no one can really handle and that ultimately would result in centralization to the the most resource heavy uh, institutions that can handle the server capacity for that kind of Data.
0: Let me, let me let me just ask this question then. One megabyte block, two megabyte block. We can handle it as a decentralized people. What 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 you're you're saying is this idea to increase the block size and scale it in that way, like a Bitcoin Cash to the eight megabytes, is only a temporary solution that will snowball until it's too big for the average person to handle.
1: Yeah, so that's that's pretty much the Bitcoin core argument, and uh, it's a reasonable one. Okay. Um, and then the, and then the big block argument is, all this doesn't matter if no one's using it for buying coffee, mm. essentially.
0: Right. So. And I'm so I'm I'm sorry. I, yeah. I'm just yeah. Gonna go ahead. No, I, I,
1: yeah. No, that's good. I I I prefer that.
0: Actually. <laughs> okay. And okay. Um,
1: so <laughs> I don't just end up on some tangent or something.
0: No. 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 Uh, uh, tangents are good too because now it's giving me questions to ask. Is the problem then not the scaling of the blocks, but deciding what your currency is for?
1: That's kind of the problem deep down. Because basically, you know, now we're talking about, you know, in a, in a truly objective world, there would be one optimal solution. Mm-hmm. And that optimal solution would be implemented. I honestly don't know what that optimal solution might be. But in a, in a truly objective world, there would be an optimal solution to this problem of uh, transaction capacity on a blockchain, and it would be implemented. But we're dealing with humans, and humans are subjective, which is, has pros and cons. So basically, what we're dealing with actually is a technical issue in the context of people's assumptions and their philosophical paradigm in which they perceive the value of of Bitcoin, basically. And and, mm-hmm. and what, it tends, what it tends to be is it comes down to an economic philosophy of bitcoin gold or bitcoin cash you know and that's basically why they called the fork of bitcoin bitcoin cash because they're basically saying bitcoin as titled in the white paper which is true is intended to be p2p cash and then the the bitcoin core argument is not saying it's not going to be cash but it's saying listen it's you know it's to be cash and scale to the masses it's it's not as straightforward of a scaling solution as you know just you know allowing everyone to run on on each block it needs a second layer it needs to be be a bit more complicated and to essentially minimize the scaling issues right and you know this is a really tough problem to be honest uh, i'll do a little barricade invarium now i mean basically what what you know, I, I was talking to Pat about it. The community—we're all like, we've all been following all, the, just, just all for the, all the.
0: Just for the listeners, who's Pat?
1: Oh, Pat is uh, the the co creator with me of, of Veracoin and Varium. Well, we started Veracoin in, in 2014. It's a proof of stake currency, and and, and Varium is a proof of work reserve that we created, and they're they paired system. And basically, we we decided that the concept of trying to be both a store of value and a currency at the same time is actually the primary flaw in our view.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: if you try and build a system that is both, um, you can do it, but you basically are making compromises on both sides. Okay, you're making compromise on the on the store of value, security or you're making compromises on the P2P payment liquidity dynamic. And um, so our solution was create a digital reserve, create a digital currency, share their security, have them increase each other's transaction speed, capacity, kind of get the best of both worlds. And then each protocol can dwell in its own space. One can be a conservative store of value, and one can be a, a, a cheap and fast, cheap in the sense that it's low-cost transactions, a low-cost currency.
2: There's two
0: questions that come out of what you just said. We have the store currency and we have a spend currency. Now, everybody says that this is kind of natural. We know this is like a natural thing because I think innately we feel that you can't go buy bread with a $100,000 Bitcoin or something. Right, right. But we don't know why that's, that's bad. So is there an economic or uh, something about the economy or econ- in economics that says that this just doesn't work? Or is it strictly a tech problem? And if this is a tech problem, then why doesn't cash have this problem? Yeah, If you understand my question. So what is your question regarding the cash? Where the actual problem lies. Is the problem in the in the tech? Or is it the problem in the scaling? Is it the problem in block size? Is it the problem in the, the value of Bitcoin being so expensive? Is the problem... Uh-huh. Like, what is the problem? Because cash, <laughs> the, US, the U.S. dollar, you know, back in you know, but 1920, could one dollar could buy you a whole thing of groceries, right? But there was right. never a problem of using it as a store currency or a spend currency. You went to the store with it, you bought shit,
1: right? So, in my view, this is largely an economic problem with multiple technical solutions. Like example, raising the block size is one technical solution. Segwit and lightning networks or a second secondary layer that handles off-chain transactions as another solution. But largely, in my view, this is an economic problem. The reason fiat doesn't have this problem is partly because it's just a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. And in a way, fiat doesn't have this problem because... And this is actually, this brings up a, an interesting point about what Bitcoin actually is and cryptocurrency in general, if you think about it. So the interesting and and great thing about cash, like physical cash, is that you're not giving someone your checking account number and they're not withdrawing funds. Like so when I go to the store and I use my debit card, you know, the number on that card gives people the authority to pull money out of my account. Right, and right. and that's become a problem in the context of the internet because your your number can end up on all corners of the internet and that's how fraudulent transactions get performed and thus we depend ultimately on there being insurance on the banking system for the fraudulent transactions that do in fact take place. If in fact though we had a financial system that was much more secure, we wouldn't depend as much on federal insurance of the financial system. And the great thing about cash, physical cash, is that if I want to pay for something, you don't withdraw funds with my authorization. I either give you money out of my wallet or I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually taking the money out and handing it to you. Right. And a debit, debit and credit card and even check um, you're withdrawing from my account. And so all the merchants that you ever use could theoretically sell your credit card number to, you know, hackers and you're kind of screwed and you have to, you know, it's because of the insurance system, it's kind of just an inconvenience. But, but at the same time, if there was a a worldwide massive hack of debit card numbers, which has almost happened numerous times where there's large scale hacks, suddenly, the Federal insurance system is going to run out of funds, and you know, maybe we won't get reimbursed for fraudulent transactions, and the bank and the banks do say, you know, we do what we can to reverse the transactions essentially right um so they they have some wiggle room out of it if need be. The cryptocurrency has this unique property: you don't authorize someone to take funds; you can only authorize funds moving out of your account yourself mm-hmm. and in that sense and I, that's ultimately actually why i believe in a way that the the bitcoin white paper was titled p2p cash because he satoshi wanted person to person transaction system like
3: hey guys tivo here to tell you about the Ufi video lock a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all in one What I love about this product is it is a truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Ufi Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Ufi Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. <sighs>
1: like cash like i can meet you on the corner and say hey oh uh, you have lemonade here's some here's some money boom boom no third party right you know and yeah. i i i take it out of my wallet i give it to you i don't authorize any transaction that you can perform or give to your buddy you know give the numbers to your buddy
0: right interesting
1: so this basically makes the security of you know you have to beat me up to get my money essentially right. and it, and brings that to the internet like you, you'd actually have to mug somebody you know, if they have a Bitcoin wallet on their smartphone, like push their thumb on it, you know, get right. get access. <laughs> you know, it's 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 harder than like say just infiltrating like a teller machine, you know, with a experienced hacking, you know, experienced hacker and, and getting a lot of credit card numbers and getting millions of dollars in like right. fifteen minutes. Right. So so cryptocurrency is a solution to this primary security problem of transferring value over the internet in a structure more like cash that's way way more secure just in general no one ever sees your cryptocurrency private private keys you know and if they see them you're screwed but you never you never need to show anybody it ever Um, so that's a so that's a that's a great feature so basically what we're now talking about is so the the question is ultimately we have these security advantages to cryptocurrency for currency on the internet that is better than debit cards, better than, than checking. You don't give your withdrawal number to random people. You never do. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do we bring this to kind of technology to the most people possible and keep the system so that no third party can say, oh, actually, we don't like this? Because in the end, what we're really talking about in a third party is we're talking about humans. right? And humans... Are not objective. They right. have children that they have to feed. They have bosses that are telling them they have to do a certain thing. They have employees that need certain things. They have. They might have threats on their life. They might be blackmailed. <laughs> they they might be making deal with politicians. Um, they might be good people that just make mistakes. You know. You know. And they they might be naive. I mean basically anything under the sun is what happens and and ultimately a third party is a combination of people of all these attributes and in the end what you get is a reasonable system that's been you know if it's been well refined but in the end what you're really getting is the sum of all the subjectivity of all the humans in an organization that that results in the service that you actually experience so leaving out the third party is not just like uh you know oh it would be cool if you know I could just pay you directly. That is cool, but the real advantage is you don't have a subjective organization making decisions on your behalf without your knowledge, or or after the fact they make you aware that they made a decision on your behalf, etc. It's just you know a free uh, currency system. Right. I pay you. You give me service, whatever it is. So the question is, so basically, I believe there's multiple technical solutions to bringing mainstream capacity onto the blockchain and in my view it's more so an economic challenge in that you know like you said is it a currency is it a store of value what should it be so here's here's where i think the the difference may lie technically and unfortunately this is also an assumption i think to be honest the the camp that thinks we need a second layer of off-chain transactions, which is basically Bitcoin Core, and ultimately, um, a side note, there will be a second layer of different types. You know whether it's it's necessary or not, just because you know different companies are going to want to do different types of transaction systems that are more efficient. For instance, right. exchanges right now, exchanges right now are basically it's a, it's it's almost like. It's almost like a, a, a crappy lightning network. They basically have, you know, <laughs> they, have the, they have the coins um, in, in addresses right. that they control. Right. That's more crappy than a lightning network. But, but basically, in exchanges, they have the, the coins and addresses that they control. And they aren't actually moving coins on the blockchain every time there's a trade. They're just changing balances associated with the username essentially. And then when you do a withdrawal, you 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 have the um, authority to withdraw the results from your trading behaviors. So the downside of the second layer solutions, the off-chain transactions, is that because they're off-chain, they basically need to be curated in some way by some organization or some company um. Somebody's got to run the Lightning Network, and the person running the Lightning Network may or may not have a decentralized infrastructure in place. Uh, they may or may not be using decentralized or trust-minimized technology for their Lightning Network. They may or may not charge fees. They may or may not censor transactions off-chain. So basically, you you bring in this this element of human su- subjectivity back into the equation. And again, second-layer solutions are going to be there. The question is more so, the debate is more so, should it be an integral part of the, the blockchain system or not? Right. And so in my view, bringing human subjectivity into the equation is not optimal. I don't think that should be the goal. And I think there's a place for off-chain transactions. I don't think it should be part of the protocol. But you can, you can argue against that point as well. You could say it's impossible to scale to the masses without a second layer. And right now that would be true, basically. I mean, like, for instance, Bitcoin Cash is testing the one gigabit or one gigabyte blocks, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, they're testing one Bitcoin Cash and a couple and Bitcoin Unlimited, a couple couple people on the big block side of the debate are testing one gigabyte blocks and how they (laughs) propagate over the global network. Okay, and it's interesting actually. They they are they're reporting some good computer science on it. They found major bottlenecks. They found that there was a big disparity in how the blocks propagated. Hmm. What, the most interesting thing that they found, in my opinion, I mean that would kind of be expected because one gigabyte is a lot of data. Like it's a, that's if you a go lot, to it. Yeah, if you go to different parts of the world, that the rate of transfer of that is going to vary like crazy, and that's right. really the problem. Yeah. But actually what they what they did find also is that when you have a good internet speed and you're on like a regular computer like a laptop or a desktop, the bottleneck actually wasn't the data transfer, like the 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 computers could could get the data in a reasonable amount of time for a 10-minute block. The problem actually was the client software was inefficient at handling and processing that much data. Hmm. Um, so so one thing that they did was optimize the, the client software to remove that bottleneck. And then once they removed the client software bottleneck, now they were left with basically just the internet latency issues, which, which do exist for a one gigabyte block. And a one gigabyte block is essentially like equivalent to, or even greater than like Visa transaction capacity. Um, so... <laughs> So, yeah, we can't do it. They I mean, have we big can't... plans, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, it's it, the reality is it can't be done right now. Right. And, and, and that, in that context, the second layer solution makes a lot of sense. Now, the other thing is techno- technology is not static. It was just reported, actually, in uh, I think it was Science. I was just reading uh, uh, a little bit of the article. And there was, I think, uh, a research group in China recently tested... Uh, quantum data transfer using lasers between a uh, portion of the earth and satellites like they, they basically shoot lasers essentially. Oh, yes okay uh, They shoot sa- they shoot lasers from I don't know some special device. It reaches a satellite mm-hmm. but this but the unique thing about it is they're perturbing the photons such that it's actually carrying data that they add to the light. And they're getting data transfer at the speed of light through space. Right. And the throughput can be huge because if you can store data in a, in a photon or an electron, um, you know, I mean, it's it's orders, way, orders of magnitude what an SSD can do and what the Internet can do right now.
0: Can, um, can I ask you a, a question about Viracoin and Virium then? Because we're on the block size conversation Why did you choose the block sizes of Vericoin and Verium? I think Verium is one megabyte and Vericoin is two megabytes. And is that scalable if you need to? And what is your view on that?
1: So Verium is two megabytes. Vericoin is one megabyte. Vericoin has a one megabyte cap size like Bitcoin, but it has a one minute block time. So Vericoin has about 10 times the transaction capacity of Bitcoin, so it can do about 70 transactions per second compared to Bitcoin 7 or so. Mm -hmm. And Varium, we did double the block size because basically the design of the system is such that Varium will be at most probably ever, or at least, uh, sorry, ever, twice the block time of Varium. If Vericoin and Varium are processing the same amount of transactions, they'll have about the same amount of capacity because Varium will always be a little slower right. um, because that, that's part of its design as being a, a digital reserve. But it will also add more transaction capacity to VeraCoin. So basically, we have a we're kind of offset by half because we, what we really have is a, is a variable block time mm-hmm. um, that changes as computational power grows on Varium. And then the, the varium miners processing Vericoin blocks as well when the binary chain is, is fully connected together will increase the block time of Vericoin. So, so rather than fiddle essentially with the megabyte caps, we already have 10 times the capacity of Bitcoin um, and varium has twice the megabyte cap. Plus it's about half the block time of Bitcoin. So it's about four times right now the capacity of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Rather than change those caps, they're fine. Uh, w- what we're doing is focusing on dropping the transaction time by increasing the block time. So the confirmations come in quicker. So it's not just that you can do, you know a hundred thousand transactions per second over a 10 minute period. It's that you can actually get confirmations quicker, right,
2: um, okay.
1: but but in reality it's the same problem. I mean, if you speed up the block time, you're you're running into the same problem. You're trying to cram one megabyte over the internet, you know, in a shorter time window. You, you run into the same latency issues in the end. But we were kind of we were conservative about it in the sense that by pegging the variable block time to now this is kind of the unique thing I would say about Varium in the binary chain. So we have a variable block time. The more mining power that occurs on Varium, the faster the block time go is. Okay. So basically the the shorter you know the the the, the shorter time between each block confirmation. Right. so bitcoin Bitcoin's ten minutes. It's always ten minutes. It's probably always going to be ten minutes. Varium is going is going go. It started at around six minutes. It's down to four minutes now and it'll go lower as more miners come on. Now, mm-hmm. here's an interesting here's an interesting thing. We basically decided that there is no true solution. And the reason is there is no true solution that anyone's come up with yet. And the reason there's this big debate about scaling is because is no one actually knows what kind of technological advancements are going to be possible in the future, and at what time frame in years that's going to come. Like I just mentioned the the quantum data transfer, if that's like five years away, then, you know, we're talking about scaling on chain, no problem. If that's 25 years away, we're talking about, you know, second layer solutions. So no one really knows. Um, There could be some huge advancement in data transfer and internet latency and bandwidth and, you know, all these technologies, then there is going to be great uh, advancements. But no one really knows what the time window is. So, we decided that it's a problem that can't actually be totally solved at this point because we don't really know what's coming down the the pipeline. So, what we did was we created a CPU only proof of work system. And that has an advantage in that it flattens the distribution of the consensus. Like, you don't have to, a a GPU has 500 times the horsepower, essentially, of of a regular computer. Um, There's no big disadvantages on our mining. You can have a lot of computers, but you know it's it's going to cost you. But the average person will not have five hundred times disadvantage to you with a three hundred dollar investment that they made. You know that the GPU buyer made. Just so that you know, that's my, one uh,
0: one of my one of the core team of, of crypto one hundred one. Uh, Mark he just mined his first virium. Nice, nice. Yeah, just, <laughs> just, just about five minutes ago, he just he, he showed me a screenshot, and, he, and he's like, he's very happy about that. So I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: <laughs> cool, cool. Was he solo mining or pool? Yeah, mining? he's solo mining. Oh, yeah. sweet. Yeah, that's solo mining is the funnest when you get a block. It's, it's the best um, <laughs> because you never know when it's going to come, and you know it's just like boom, it's there. Um, so there's one other element to CPU mining that I haven't really discussed, and will be in the binary chain white paper. But the the other bonus about CPU mining is we actually can peg scaling to approximately Moore's law in not in a predetermined way, but in an actual empirical way. Because Varium is CPU mining only, then the average consumer grade hardware will be a factor in the block time in addition to how many people are actually are using it. So there's more miners. But each miner has to use a computer, right? Um, and and so we've basically what we've done is we've pegged scaling to the advancement of average computer hardware times the number of people that are using our system, essentially. You know, they, um, you so and
0: it's in, interesting that you say that because that was almost my next question, and I was gonna and I was gonna actually you try to and I don't, I don't think I was gonna use Moore's law in 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 the phrasing, but. I, you brought you brought up the point of the one gig mega or one gigabyte block size. Bcash is trying to uh, test right now, but then at the same time you said that the confirmation times is going to get faster the more miners and the more people that are using Vericoin and Verium, and it's gonna. It, it, but the block size is gonna stay one megabyte. So then you right. an, and then you answered that it's gonna stay in relation to Moore's law, but is that also going to ever? test the computation power and we're going to have the the issues you, you said earlier with the one gigabyte block sizes
1: computer hardware is what it is on average because of cost so mm-hmm. i'm not going to make a computer that has insanely fast ram let's say like you know there's there's special types of memory called cache. it's much faster it's much more expensive i'm not going to fill a computer with tons of cash and say hey this thing is awesome because I'm going to have to charge like $10,000 a unit. And you know, you can sell that as a niche high performance computer, but you're not going to sell millions of those things to the average person. So computer hardware is the market actually determines how computer hardware advances in the context of what technological advancements are actually occurring. So like, for instance, the quantum laser data transfer, you know, that's not going to be in the next computer because it'd be way too expensive (laughs) Um, but it's out there and then eventually when it becomes cheap it'll be in the next computer system or whatever so basically by pegging the scalability of the binary chain to consumer grade hardware not gpus not asics um, what we're doing is actually using the market 're We're saying the market's going to decide according to how many people are mining Varium, which determines basically how many transactions we need to to process indire- indirectly I mean it's proportional to the number of people that are using the system for mm-hmm. sure. and And we're pegging it to the market's choices on the the on the average, the median uh, or the average hardware of of a com- consumer grade CPU. So what that means also is if the market's determining the RAM size that's possible versus executed, the market's also determining you know, the kind of uh, Ethernet adapters that are possible versus executed according to cost. And those things tend to migrate with each other. Like someone's not going to design a computer that has this insane capacity for Internet speed, but the Internet itself can't, can't, can't <laughs> yeah. throttle that. Right. You know what I mean? So, so basically... The consumer grade hardware device is already kind of preordained with this nice balance of what is technologically feasible and is cost effective. So, by pegging our scalability to it, we don't foresee there being the issue of the one gigabit, gigabyte block size problem where we're dropping the block time, but the latency is, is too big for the same reason. We actually see ourselves just kind of moving with the market. Hmm. Moving with technological advancement and the reason we can do that to be honest The only reason that's possible is is because it's a CPU mind algorithm, right? If it was a GPU or ASIC it would the numbers would just Not be representative because now you're getting into these specialized devices that are will tear through blocks, right? Um, and, are, and are not a market median of technological output,
0: right? Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. For the music today, we did it a little bit differently. We asked the people on the Facebook group. And these songs were recommended by people in the Facebook group. So the first song that was recommended was the 80s TV show theme song, The A-Team, Ashish Van Usterholt. The second one was Queen, Don't Stop Me Now, recommended by Samuel. And the third one was Jimmy Cliff, The Harder They Come, Recommended by David Mark Grant. Also, please check out apogeecrypto.com. That's A-P-O-G-E-E, crypto.com. It's one of the best places to check your prices in real time. Great site, great UI. People are loving it. Check it out. And I also want to give some shots out to Harry Foster. Harry volunteered his time to edit this podcast. It saved me a lot of time and work. So, Harry, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much for listening. This is Matthew Aaron, and we'll see you on next episode of Crypto 101. (sighs)